Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Biohacking Beauty Podcast, where we explore the innovative ways to enhance your health and beauty from the inside out and from the outside in. I am your host, Amitai Eshel, co-founder and CEO of Young Goose. And today, joining me once again, due to popular demand, my co-founder, and someone I tried to convince that she is the co-host, but for now she denies the title, Anastasia Hojaeva. Uh, so welcome back, Anastasia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so today let's start with, you know, kind of what the topic of today's podcast is about, because uh, it's been a long time coming. It's been nine months coming almost. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, uh, today we are going to speak about pregnancy and uh, skin changes that occur during pregnancy due to hormone fluctuations. Sounds great. Before we start today's podcast, I would like to read a review of one of our listeners. So the review today reads, love the podcast. It has become one of my favorites. So today it's a short and sweet. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, I would really, really encourage you to take two seconds out of your day and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only that it allows more people to listen to the podcast, to find this podcast out, it also obviously helps us kind of stay motivated and continue to create content we know that people like. So that would help us greatly. Really, even a one-word review is highly, highly valued. So please uh, do us a favor and do that. And yeah, but without further ado, let's start with today's podcast. Anastasia, so again, as I said, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you, thank you. Maybe we should jump kind of right in. Uh, first of all, you are obviously pregnant, so this is why we wanted to record a podcast about it obviously since anyone who follows us on, on social media kind of knows you're pregnant i just came back from a4m american academy for anti-aging medicine which is a conference and uh, everyone uh, <laughs> people that we don't know which is kind of kind of interesting uh stopped by they were looking for you uh, asked how you were doing and it's uh completely honest pretty cool that uh people care about how you're doing and we don't we have never actually met them before yeah, it's it's definitely surreal, and I feel spoiled and privileged and honored. Yeah, so we kind of waited because we wanted to make sure that you are having a, a glowing uh, pregnancy, which you are, and uh, that are obviously that our systems work, and uh, we wanted to have the proof in in the pudding. So the pudding is sitting on me, and uh, <laughs> looks like looking great, great pudding. So we're going to talk today about how to maintain our youthful appearance during pregnancy, some things around it. Let's, let's start with, obviously, every, everyone knows that pregnancy brings with it the fluctuation of hormones. So maybe we should start there. Like, how do hormones affect the skin during pregnancy? Great question. And uh, I think also, besides my own pregnancy, the, the motivation for this podcast was numerous times our customers reached out, mm -hmm. uh, letting us know that they're pregnant or breastfeeding and asking how can we best support 
their skin and um, voicing really their skin challenges. Because pregnancy is such a unique experience and some of the skin changes we're going to be talking about, you may have experienced during your pregnancy, you might experience in during future pregnancy, or you might not. So we're just going to talk about it in general, not only as it pertains to me. But in general, yes, I'm nine months pregnant. It's uh, surreal to say. 36 weeks and five days, so almost full term, which is 37 weeks. And then the, the due date usually is set to 40 weeks, which most people know and some people don't, but it's very uh, not accurate. Only 5% of women give birth at their 40th week. But I'm kind of, I kind of went off topic here. So speaking of hormonal fluctuations, definitely the two hormones that drive actually every single skin change, the part of one, which we'll talk in the future, will be progesterone and estrogen. So the rise in progesterone and estrogen will be responsible for that special pregnancy glow. It will also be responsible for potential acne. And not directly, but we'll expand on how it will also be responsible for potential um, mask of pregnancy, which is melasma and hyperpigmentation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's start with pregnancy glow. Just let, you know, maybe we can um, quickly, you know, touch on why every one of those things that you mentioned happened. So pregnancy glow. Why does it happen? Like what, what's happened there, happening there that increases the glowing of the yeah. skin? Two things happen. So again, because of the increase in progesterone and estrogen, that in, in turn drives stronger blood flow to your skin. And that will give you that glowing complexion along with extra oil production. So you, your skin will also be more hydrated. Okay. So if just maintain at the right level, you can have all the benefits without all the drawbacks. So you okay. can have this radiant pregnancy glow. Okay, great. And that's a good segue to the next question, which is acne. So what's happening that increases that increases the prevalence of acne? And maybe the difficult percentages, like how many people yeah. you know, will experience acne yeah. pregnancy? So same two hormones that gave you that pregnancy glow also can give you acne. And that happens when the balance is tilted. And now you have over-stimulated oil glands and you produce too much oil because of those two hormones we talked about. And now you're experiencing clogging of pores, which will either worsen your existing acne or can give you acne even if you never had acne. So acne is incredibly common during pregnancy. Up to 50% of women, pregnant women, can experience acne during pregnancy. So it's extremely prevalent. So half of the people will experience that. And most commonly, if you didn't get it in the first trimester, second or third, that's when people get it most commonly because that's when those two hormones peak. Got it. Okay, great. I know it's great, but... <laughs> um, okay, what Over about... Way. You mentioned the mask of pregnancy, also called melasma, also called, you know, hyperpigmentation. Yeah. Uh, let's look at... It. So, um, actually... Uh, the minute I found out I'm pregnant, well, maybe not the minute, but once the realization hit and I was thinking of um, the way my body is going to change, what I should do differently, I did think 
of that dreaded mask of pregnancy. Some of my friends that I've witnessed getting pregnant have experienced that even though they had a great skin leading up to pregnancy. So before we're going to talk about how you can potentially avoid it or prevent it, uh, what leads to it is again, so we have the, the rise of progesterone and estrogen, but that indeed in turn stimulates melanocyte stimulating hormone, which results in extra production of melanin which then shows on your skin as this mask of pregnancy. And the reason it's called mask of pregnancy, it's a very specific pattern. So you get it around your mouth, you get it in certain parts of your cheek, cheeks, and you get it like in the middle of your forehead. So it's just really a special pattern. It doesn't look like a regular, it's quite a unique pattern of dark patches that just color your facial skin. So um, yeah. Got it. So we talked about the three things that are more common in the face. Like we talked about pregnancy glow, we talked about acne, and we talked about, you know, hyperpigmentation, melasma, pregnancy mask. What about things that are happening in this, for the skin of the body, such, for example, such as stretch marks? Yes, yeah, so stretch marks are incredibly common. And so the reason they're happening is obviously your belly starting to accommodate um, and stretch to make room for growing baby. And then the elastin fibers beneath your skin start to break, which results in stretch marks. So while for a very, very long time, the consensus was that it's mostly hereditary and there wasn't so much research about compounds that can support elastin fibers to help them not break and indeed stretch without resulting in stretch marks. Luckily, there are more and more compounds being found useful to prevent and stave off of stretch marks. Got you. So basically, maybe to, to summarize the, the causes that, that, you've, that you've mentioned. So obviously, we have hormonal fluctuations. We have increased oil production due to those uh, hormonal fluctuations. For all of the changes. Yes. And then the skin also becomes a little more sensitive and, irrit and irritable, right? Which would lead to you know, more, more complications, I guess, if you do develop, a, for example, if you do develop acne, or if, by the way, if you are overproducing melanin and your skin can you know, increases in irritation, and then we get exposed to the sun, that could also be an issue because part of what causes, you know, excess pigmentation is inflammation and sun damage. So that definitely, I feel like, is a huge factor, and, and I'm sure we're going to dive into, like, safe uh, sun exposure during pregnancy. And I think also something that you didn't mention, but it's, it's kind of obvious during pregnancy is stress and lack of sleep, right? So obviously, I mean, you had some, some experience with, uh, with uh, sleep issues during pregnancy. And I think stress is like supernatural yeah. because of that. Yeah, I guess we can definitely say that additional reasons for acne besides progesterone and estrogen, you know, rising and having that overproduction of oil and clogging the pores, definitely stress and lack of sleep will also, you know, spike your cortisol and cortisol um, is known to, again, then produce oil and lead up, lead to acne. A lot of people that experience issues with sleep and stress, it shows up in their skin in multiple ways, such as inflammation, as you mentioned, and acne. And yeah, I mean, I only slept well throughout my second trimester. The first trimester, 
was very, very hard to get any sleep. And the third one is challenging. Yeah, but I think although you're correct, and obviously, you know, I am somewhat to blame for some of those sleepless nights because I wake up very early. No, no, but that, 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 no. That's okay, not, but, but let me yeah. ask you something. So we've, we have tried a few things as far as like improving sleep quality. We tried supplements. I mean, not every supplement we felt safe to try, but we tried some supplements. We tried, obviously, like improving magnesium intake, lysine, some, some raw honey to, to kind of prevent. Yeah, to, to balance that cortisol spike. So what, yeah. what we realized in the first trimester, like a clock, I would wake up at 3 a.m., fully awake not even like able to imagine how can i go back to sleep and then uh, we saw that it's a very common cortisol spike actually not just in pregnant women but a lot of people that experience kind of insomnia anxiety oftentimes they wake up right there and then 3 a.m it's like this special hour and and yeah it's because of that spike of cortisol so what we realized that taking a teaspoon of raw honey before i go to sleep along with lysine could help. And definitely magnesium was always kind of part of our sleep hygiene. So we just wanted to make sure we'll maintain that. And then also the prenatal supplements, they already contain magnesium. So that that's also like a game of, you know, not giving me too much of things like making, you know, seeing what I'm already taking and what might help. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think what's also helped as far as like maintaining, you know, electrolyte levels, always be minerals. The humic and fulvic acid. I think we saw some some improvement there, along other things. I mean, less cramping. So in general, that was a good cocktail, if you would. And it, you know, it seems to to have made a difference. Again, it, it's not easy. It's not hard. It's not you know that you're getting uh, perfect sleep all the time. But I feel like in general, we definitely tackled that issue somewhat successfully. Yeah, and uh, also I've been the most the most disciplined with meditation throughout pregnancy. Definitely. That insomnia in the first trimester really motivated me to, you know, meditate in the evening, in the morning. And also if I would wake up during the night, I would try to meditate to make myself go back to sleep. I've never meditated so much in my life <laughs> throughout this pregnancy. Basically, you were a pregnant yogi. <laughs> um, okay, so a little bit about the pregnancy mask, which obviously is, I think, the most, out of everything, is probably the, the most thing people are scared of. For sure, that, that was something that I dreaded the most. I mean, yeah, because I don't know if anyone has ever woken up with a, with a pimple on their face and asked themselves, is that going to stay with me forever, right? Maybe when you're a teenager and you don't know how these things work. But obviously, pigmentation is something that people are afraid that it's going to last all their life. So, you know, again, let's talk a little bit about how melasma happens or how hyperpigmentation happens and go a little bit into prevention. Maybe we should start about, you know, why does it happen? Yeah, so melasma, just like any hyperpigmentation, will happen when you have a spike in melanin production, which is your pigment-producing hormone. So if you don't have it under control in it, um, there's a couple of processes that can press kind of uh, this internal button of melanin-stimulating hormone, and then it can uh, release melanin production. So there is a lot to consider. And in, as we spoke earlier, just to bring us back, particularly during pregnancy, this button, what's pressing it is the rise in progesterone and estrogen. It just activates that mel- melanin-stimulating hormone that then, then just 
releases that extra melanin. So you're very likely, as we spoke, unfortunately, half of pregnant women will develop that melasma. Yeah. I think if, you're, if your melanin sites normally are like a cat, you know, <laughs> they need a lot of uh, coercing in order to, to work and create melanin. You know, when you're, when you're pregnant, they're more like a dog. You know, you get up on the couch, you're like, yeah, what's up? Where are we going? You know? So I think it's important to understand that although we're, we're saying, you know, this hormone is being expressed, you're going to get more pigment. This is still in relation to stimulation of pigment production. So again, we spoke about sun. We can speak about other things that might create elevation pigments, such as artificial blue light. It can also happen through that. So it's important to understand that, that there, is, there is a dance with, with nature and, and what we're doing. So when does it appear, when should people be more concerned with, with it within pregnancy? Yes. So it, it, it usually appears in the second or third trimester. The mask of pregnancy usually don't get it in the first trimester. It's much less common. So for me personally, the minute, you know, I, I as I spoke earlier, I found out I'm pregnant and, you know, started thinking of what changes I should make and, uh, and how I should, you know, be proactive. I mean, I've been already really good about protecting my skin from the sun, but I became super diligent. So for this whole nine months, I like, I didn't leave my house without a white brim hat. Like it just, you know, I have hats everywhere. I have a couple of hats in the car, have hats by the door. It's like, <laughs> yes, I just have hats everywhere to remind me to take a hat. If I leave the house, I have like fabric hats too, that, that you can just fold and put it in your bag and have it on the go. And just for reference, also, uh, we live in Miami, so it's extremely sunny here all year round. So you just are exposed much more to strong, really strong sun. But definitely also, I would recommend everyone to wear SPF, at least SPF 30, uh, 30 and up. So our BioShield SPF 40 is, you know, uh, sun protection factor 40. And I wear it every single day. Like I didn't skip even once my SPF and indoors and outdoors mm -hmm. again hours in particular i i hate to plug in our product and do a little ad but it doesn't only protect from the sun it also protects from emf and pollution which you can still get indoors we filter air pretty diligently but still yeah. and also of course uh, artificial blue light high energy visible light which also stimulates our melanocytes especially if we're not Fitzpatrick one. So Fitzpatrick is a scale of skin color. And when you get higher on that scale, it means you're darker. So Fitzpatrick, like three, which is here kind of two or three, already has very similar reaction to artificial blue light than they would have to UV light as far as, as, far as melanin production. So that's something that we need to bear, take into account. The, the, if we're under, you know, fluorescent lighting or anything like that, yeah, we definitely have to use yeah. some protection against that. I, I mean, pigmentation runs like in my family. So yeah, as somebody who is mixed, I just, you know, I have Caucasian and Asian blood in me and both don't do really well with the sun. So I uh, have to be extra diligent. But in this day and age, we're just experiencing Anyone who thought they maybe have innate protection from the sun for one or the other reason cannot be as naive anymore because, you know, of the things we spoke so often in this podcast. So, yeah. So anyway, we talked about 
that when we do go out to the sun, you know, a lot of people, vitamin D is extremely important during pregnancy, also not only during pregnancy, but we do need to get some sunlight. We do oh, need to get sure. sunlight on us. So what are some of the strategies around that? Yeah, so I will say that I, I did share it on, on Instagram that um, I do try to get at least one hour of sunlight. Okay, great. So you plug their products, you plug your Instagram. Great, you're doing great. <laughs> well, <laughs> my Instagram is closed. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, uh, what I was saying that I did share about the fact that I am super all all about a daily exposure to the sun for vitamin D production, especially because um, I do believe it, it really helps baby's development. I just will not expose my belly or my face. You know, like I'll just expose my legs, arms. I think that's enough to produce vitamin D. It doesn't have to be the high real estate as, um, yeah, uh, as, as face. And, and also for anyone pregnant or considering pregnancy, I did not expose my belly skin either. Because again, remember, it's, it's very delicate. And I actually something maybe worth mentioning. I do know of people that used to sun tan when they were pregnant. And I believe it also... Uh, led to them have a higher chance of developing stretch marks because it's, again, extra stress on that skin that's already under a lot of stress. And then they developed some pigmentation there that that wouldn't go away after pregnancy on their, their body. So just be mindful of that. But some of the strategies I did, I, I mean, I didn't go to the sun in the peak hours. So they used to say like the peak hours are from 12 to 2. Now they're saying the skin, uh, the sun is pretty strong, even from 10 to 2. So I would go earlier or later. And then again, just, you know, umbrella, uh, if I'm at the beach, um, hat, SPF, and yeah, certain, certain foods as well that mm -hmm. help maintain hydration and mm -hmm. um, contribute to some sun protection. Like watermelon, for example, is definitely not like sun protection, but it, it can, it can strengthen it. We actually posted about it now on Instagram, one of the posts. It's like foods that you can eat that supports your skin health. Fantastic. Hey there, this is Amitai, co-founder and CEO of Young Goose and uh, host of the Biohacking Beauty Podcast. I wanted to take a brief moment to share something really special with you, our dedicated listeners. At Young Goose, we've always been about more than just skincare. We are about cellular care. We believe in not just addressing the signs, but truly diving into the very source of skin aging. The reality is, as time goes on, our skin undergoes damage, and this damage accumulates, gradually leading to those signs of aging we all see and know very well. But what if we could hit the rewind button? What if we could delve deep, in, uh, not into the layers of the skin, but into the life-sustaining mechanisms of our skin cells? That's exactly what we're doing at Young Goose. We're pioneering a renaissance in skincare by employing principles from regenerative medicine. By rejuvenating and restoring the cellular functions, our products aim to rewind time, gifting your skin a youthful, vibrant glow. And for our Biohacking Beauty listeners, we have a special treat. Head over to younggoose.com right now and use the code 
podcast 10 to get 10% off your first purchase. Discover the magic of truly transformative skincare. And hey, because we value our returning customers just as much, use podcast five on your subsequent purchases to get 5% off. And the best part that this discount can be combined with subscriptions and our already discounted systems. So why wait? Dive deep into the realm of regenerative skincare with Young Goose and let your skin thank you. Remember, it's not just skincare, it's cellular care. And now, back to our conversation. So, something that's important to explain about melasma, we're not talking about, you know, pigmented stretch marks, but melasma or pigmentation that was that has incurred that you incurred during pregnancy most of the time it goes away yes so the good news yes that a lot of the times it goes away as fast as a couple of months after pregnancy it can stay around though for years and if that happened to you and you know it's been years since you were pregnant and you still have melasma you have this mask of pregnancy luckily there are things that you can consider treatments so one of the obvious ones is the retinol it will help diminish the appearance of sunspots age spots you know and what we're talking about here I melasma of the <laughs> yes yes you should and if you're going for retinoids you should really consider bioretinol then you can also try chemical pills actually we do make professional chemical pills with ghkcu available through the spas and medical offices at carry angus but it is not something you could purchase over the counter because you do need to have a professional apply it and then there are also lasers different sorts of therapies like that and when you were on the ben greenfield's podcast you spoke uh, briefly about lasers but as brief as it was it caused quite a stir and we have been getting questions about your opinion on lasers for months and I know you addressed it in a couple of podcasts here and there, but maybe this is a great time to elaborate a little bit on. Yeah, I think especially for someone who's post postpartum and um, is dealing with a lot of things in life, I think it's super important to understand how we approach lasers. So, laser is exactly like I would say the prof- the pro the, the the big leagues of skin health. And what I mean by that is, or skin health appearance, you know? So what I think mean by that is that you are going ahead and creating control damage in the skin. And this definitely, we can think of three things that we, can, we wanna consider when we talk about our health. Number one is our peak performance right now, which would, you know, equate to how your skin, how useful your skin appears right now. Second is, I would say, resilience, okay? So how resilient your skin is to different uh, changes in the environment, stressors, things like that. And the third is, this, is longevity of the, or the, the accumulation of damage over time, okay? And even though most of the time we consider these things some kind of combination like they we view them as one thing oh this person looks so, so young probably their skin is also healthy right probably they don't they, their skin is going to look good for a long period of time but as we know that is not the case well, let's give let's give an example from not only for skin from other places in life 
you know, professional athletes, obviously, when they finish their careers, like 30, 35, 40 years old, their body is, is, has gone through damage, like someone who's like 50, 60, most of them have like hip replacements, knee replacements, different surgeries that they that they've had in order for them to perform at their peak performance they basically burnt out their body and that also applies to the skin so we can think of if someone just goes ahead and like pounds their skin with lasers with radio frequency with intense pulse lights which is called ipl with different procedures that there are now like the m phase all of these procedures again, are more for peak performance right now, but we're paying for them later on. We need to understand that. And we need and we need to understand that we can go ahead and do them, but this is the price that we pay, okay? So I'm not against them, but I think there is a price there that people don't understand. And if there is, you know, going back to resilience, obviously resilience, if we, if we think of like just um, people who want to use extremely clean skincare products, right? Most of what they are interested in, whether consciously or subconsciously is that skin resilience is not to overload the skin with stimulation is not to kind of weaken the skin right if they expect any sort of like age reversal benefit or anything like that then either they have they're fooling themselves or someone is fooling them i would say through marketing i even think that i i'm not sure i agree with you that they they hope for skin resilience i honestly think they just really hope for me to maintain the skin as is mm -hmm. and not disturb it yeah that's and, what i mean by yeah. resilience yeah or or yeah i mean something between longevity and resilience i do feel like resilience it's still strengthening uh -huh. the skin uh -huh. and okay. i don't think they can expect okay, or no problem. For it. But, but i'm just saying it's not it's not uh, group one right it's it's something uh between like maintenance and disturbance things like that yeah. And obviously longevity is starting from the inside. It's starting from not kind of raising, you know, as uh, our friend Kiran Krishnan likes to say, not to have leaky skin and supporting, you know, overall inflammation, you know, having a low inflammatory diet, all of those things, obviously taking senolytic supplements. Obviously we have a senolytic skin serum, but in general, we're talking about, you know, kind of, preventing some of the damage that's happening over time. We, we talked about sun exposure, so that's going to be a strategy for longevity, okay? Preventing or, or avoiding skin damage. Now we're going to get back to to, late, to all of those highly stimulatory, damage-inducing procedures. So if we have melasma, if we have something like that, if we just believe that we want a better-looking skin at the moment, go ahead, do those treatments, but you have to, you have to really cross, uh, cross your T's and uh, dot your I's and uh, something with your P's or I don't know what. But you got to understand that everything else has to be dialed in, okay? And, okay, first of all, what I mean by that is that it is not obviously easy to have your sleep dialed in, exercise, nutrition skincare products regimen and you know supplementation all of that working at the you know at the basically like making sure all of that is being done correctly and optimally to support that stimulation and that damage that you've 
incurred. When you're, when you're having a newborn, that might not be the best idea because you are creating, your, you're really depleting that longevity. You're depleting that resilience, okay? You are taking, re- basically, you're, you're, you're using the reservoir that is intended for these two other categories, right? And I think most women would consider it not really at this stage of newborn, I hope, because as we mentioned, uh, wait, wait a few months because it might go away on its own. But yeah, if it's been a few years and you still have that mask of pregnancy, this is when you could maybe resort to some of those harsher treatments that Amitai is talking about right now. So right, do we also for stretch marks. I mean, that's yes. also something that, that, that can be done for stretch marks, but kind of the same idea. So, and I'm just curious, how would you rate the order of what women should go for? So if it was up to me, I would start with retinoids first. Yeah. See if the retinoids help. You know, it's relative. For some people, using a retinoid treatment for, you know, maybe six months to a year can really help lighten that melasma. Then personally, my next go-to would be to try a chemical pill. And only then I would resort to laser therapy. Do yeah. you agree? Yeah, you yeah, agree? 100%. And also like uh, chemical pills, again, they're a journey in, in, in on themselves. I mean, we have three. <laughs> we have the longevity enzyme pill, which is super, super mellow. We have copper peptide pill phase one, which is even people with melasma, active melasma, they can do. And copper peptide pill phase two, which is stronger, but you kind of graduate to it. So even within those, there are categories that you can try. To answer your question, and yeah, and, and then lasers and different types of lasers, whether it is like, well, we're not going to get into lasers because this is really something that I prefer you do with a professional, but there are different ones uh, in different kind of categories. What I wouldn't do, and by the way, it's really not related really to melasma or hyperpigmentation, is radiofrequency and, micro- and, and radiofrequency microneedling. And that's also more related to laxity. It could be used for, for um, stretch marks, but that's more related to laxity. And the reason I wouldn't do it is because it's extremely difficult to, to avoid scarring under your skin and loss of fat tissue. And especially that's something that you need to do over time. So you can do it over and over and over again. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it. So you wouldn't recommend it to treat melasma or ever? I wouldn't recommend it ever. What about if it's done with a professional? I wouldn't recommend it. Well, for sure, don't do it at home. The, the radio frequency at home does you know, there are microneedling devices that no, are super popular. For sure. Microneedling, just microneedling on its own is great. The ones you can do at home, they, they're great and it's, you won't be able to hurt yourself really. Just wanted to make sure for our listeners, yes. it, it yeah, could be yeah. confusing as if you say never to do microneedling. No, microneedling you should definitely do. We have, you know, obviously uh, podcasts about that specifically, mm-hmm. whether at home or professionals. Microneedling radio frequency is something else. It's a delivery method of radio frequency. So that j- just thank you for that clarification. And also for anyone listening, and, you know, we are very happy that we have a lot of new listeners I do want to let you guys know that there was a two podcast episodes that you can go to to actually familiarize yourself more with these different types of whether microneedling or microneedling radio frequency. You spoke about it extensively with Darnell Cox. Yeah. And then you also spoke Daniel. with with Daniela. Yeah. So so we're going to put it in the show notes, those two episodes, just so you can go back to, I don't remember their numbers, but we have talked about it in more in depth. 
Okay, but actually, that's one of the things that I would like to say. Uh, we're supplementing on, on collagen is highly beneficial. And obviously, supplementing on vitamin C, sodium ascorbate, calcium ascorbate, not ascorbic acid, not, not topically, not ingesting it. It's poison. So better form of vitamin C, which actually leads me to talking about, we mentioned retinoids, and we've mentioned, you know, collagen breakdown when, it, when we spoke about stretch marks. Yeah. So, so when we spoke about melasma, the mask of pregnancy, we, we spoke about the fact that protecting yourself, uh, your skin from the sun is key. Mm -hmm. to to avoid and then we talk a little bit about the fact that if you already have melasma i mean during pregnancy you've developed it or you have it otherwise what can you do to uh, get rid of it so we spoke about that now and another part of my prevention protocol for melasma was vitamin c Definitely. Amitai has recorded uh, an amazing, like one hour and a half long podcast about vitamin C with Lior Sher, who is uh, um, the world's expert on vitamin C. So if you want to know why um, I personally didn't use ascorbic acid, you know, as a supplement or topically, you can refer to that podcast. But definitely throughout my pregnancy in general, vitamin C has as a supplement, has so many benefits during pregnancy. So I was supplementing on liposomal sodium ascorbate. Now, in our products, we use THD, so tetrahedral ascorbate in our ProCare. So that was definitely something. It was like every morning was my morning serum that I uh, used underneath my SPF. And Vitamin C is, is an antioxidant, so it has those properties. And it's particularly as it relates to melasma, it also tyrosine kinase inhibitor. So actually it inhibits the melanin production. So that's how you can also kind of trick, not trick, but hack. You know, we're here biohackers. Hack your body not to have that excessive production of melanin when, when it's a, such a sensitive period and it can result in melasma. I would also add, I added uh, acerola, acerola cherries, cherry powder, uh, dry, you know, freeze-dried uh, to your shakes. Tastes great and also is very rich in vitamin C. Again, a natural source of vitamin C. So that's obviously something very positive. You've eaten a lot of uh, citrus. That's what, that kind of was your craving during pregnancy. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people have asked me like, oh, what have you been craving? And for a while there, I haven't been craving really You're about anything. 20% Mandarin. <laughs> yes, but, um, but the tangerines, any kind of citrus fruits were my go-to and blueberries. I just, yeah. And when Rainier cherries were in season. Yeah. That anyway, was, yeah. yeah. Rainier cherries, we're thinking of calling the baby Rainier. After, <laughs> okay, anyway, so, cherries, so let's talk about within pregnancy. You, you did mention uh, retinoids and... I think it's a very important distinction to make. That's not something we're going to be using during pregnancy. So maybe we're not... mm -hmm. Yes, yes. But, you know, we, yeah. we, we want to make sure. So let's talk about, you know, some of the ingredients that we don't want to have in skincare during pregnancy. Yes. So during pregnancy, unfortunately, you have to pause your retinoids. I'm obsessed with our bioretinol. I, I credit a lot of my skin appearance to the fact that I've been using it before quite, you know, regularly. So I had to pause that. Can't wait to have it back, but you know, we'll have to wait until I'm done breastfeeding. If you want to know why and 
what I will just quickly say, it's, it's a vitamin A derivative and because it's such an important natural vitamin that anyway plays a role in baby's development, you just don't want to play with it. Like you, you don't want to alter it, the, the concentration of it in your body. So that's why you have to stop with retinoids during pregnancy and breastfeeding. But if you want to learn more about why we are not anti-retinoids as, you know, became kind of fashionable to be, you can go back to our retinoid podcast where we talk really in depth and answered a lot of listener questions as they pertain to retinoids. Yeah. Now, along with retinoids that you can't use during pregnancy, you also can't use high-dose um, salicylic acid. Personally, I didn't use low-dose either, but low-dose is considered safe. High-dose is not. You shouldn't use hydroquinone. You shouldn't use chemical sunscreens, which we anyway, again, so like oxybenzone is a common chemical screen present in chemical sunscreens, which believe it or not, you really should check your like foundation label. So many cosmetics like foundations and primers have chemical sunscreen built in, which is supposed to help you have SPF protection. But a lot of the times it's, it's always not zinc oxide that's mixed with your makeup. So just make sure you don't have that in mm -hmm. your makeup. Again, like I want to get into essential oils in a second, but I would say also like phthalates or parabens, things that we really don't see a lot in skincare anymore, are also something that technically, if you're still using products with that, you should stop. Uh, let's talk a little bit about essential oils. Yeah, that, that's a surprising one, but there is a quite a laundry list of essential oils that you shouldn't be using during pregnancy. And uh, some, some of the common ones are like clary sage and clove, cinnamon and rosemary. Yeah. So, and uh, do you want to know why? I would love to know why. Let me surprise <laughs> you. Oh my God. Really? <laughs> why? I think that that should be surprising to listeners. But yeah, so all those essential oils, it's... Uh, and many more. We're going to put a list. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a staple of, of clean skincare. And, uh, you know, how come you can't use it during pregnancy? Unfortunately, like those that we mentioned, and there's many, many, many more, can stimulate uterine contractions. So, which is a no-no, you know, until mm -hmm. the point that you want to give birth. So, stave off. Mm -hmm. Okay. during pregnancy. So, fantastic. We are going to put a list because there are a lot of them. So that's... And all of them are very common too. A lot of them are very common. The quality of them also matters. Not that much because, again, we want... It's a good idea to, to kind of avoid them in general, but there is something called therapeutic grade in essential oils. And um, so, in general, the list is going to be added and probably we're going to do something on Instagram too about it. But let's talk a little bit about what is safe and effective within, within skincare for the different things that we've spoken about. So, for example, for acne, what would you say are ingredients that are safe and effective as far as like counteracting acne from your experience, but also things that you didn't use, you know? Yeah, so scientific consensus is that you can use glycolic acid and lactic acid. I personally didn't. I just not my types of ingredients for that is in my daily yeah, up that to pregnancy. And it connects to what we said before about like borrowing, you know, reservoirs that are, that are that belong to a different system. So that longevity or resilience, you know, use of these acids on a regular, 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 regular basis kind of depletes those other systems that we have. Yeah. So I completely agree with you. But yeah. they are available. I would say also just 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 I would say 
that salicylic acid is a spot treatment. And that's, I think, a diff, a diff, kind of something that we do need to explain that low dose doesn't mean the percentage necessarily is the only thing that counts. It also is the area of exposure because what we're talking about there is the prevalence of the molecule in the body, right? And so it's, it's, it's also important not to apply it on a too large of a surface area. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, generally, if you're someone who, you know, maybe naturally prone to acne and you kind of go hand in hand with one of those spot treatments, kind of rollers for, you know, the occasional breakouts, the good news is that you you can use the low-dose uh, salicylic acid for spot treatments during pregnancy. Again, personally, I just didn't want to use any salicylic acid. I also have been using before pregnancy a deodorant that has a c combination of HA and salicylic acid. So DHA, just for people. Yes. And uh, I looked at the percentage, and although it seemed safe, right, I, I was like, okay, it goes right there and, you know, underarms. It's just this area that, um, you know, so like it allows things in and out much easier and I just don't want to risk it. So I cut all the salicylic acid personally. And then so uh, actually for me during the first trimester, when that hormonal fluctuation started happening, that hormonal shift, I did start noticing that I'm getting that extra oil production and I start getting occasional breakouts here and there. There were not a lot, but I saw that I have the potential, like, you know, definitely experiencing more clogged pores than I did before pregnancy. And then again, before pregnancy, I had my retinoids, who re what really helps uh, balance oils and keep your pores really unclogged. So for me, it was the green tea. So my first trimester, I used our green tea fighter serum because it's antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory. And that really helped keep the extra oil. And it's also oil balancing as well. And I think also, if correct me if I'm wrong, even though you have a very sensitive skin and it even became more sensitive during pregnancy, you were playing around with an eye polish, right? Like you were using it very on, on specific areas or using it you know, for a very short amount of time, but you were you were playing around with that as well, right? Yes. So our exfoliant nail polish is really good to help anybody who has a buildup in their pores. So I was using it just on my T zone, so the my forehead, on my nose, a little bit on my chin. But yes, unfortunately, I just in general I have a very sensitive skin, and especially the first trimester, it was yeah, I had to kind of like just. Not yeah. <laughs> okay. experience any any because nail polish also has mechanical exfoliation and normally it's it's not something abrasive right for a regular person but the way it felt to me it was very too scrubby yeah yeah for sure okay so for hyperpigmentation we've discussed vitamin c to kind of prevent tyrosine kinase or the kind of stimulation for melanin production anything else for, well, I mean, sunblock, I guess. Yeah. We, we, so in terms of your initial question, like what products worked for me and the ingredients. Mm -hmm. So green tea fatty serum was my go-to for the kind of the pregnancy acne mm -hmm. uh, and preventing that and balancing this extra oil. I use vitamin C religiously for multiple benefits, including prevention of melasma, SPF religiously, 
And then also for extra hydration. So at night I would use, I would often add bio barrier to mm-hmm. my skincare regimen because of that sensitivity that we spoke about. So yeah. to kind of really give my skin that extra nurturing, I would say it really helped. It really, I feel like uh, balanced my skin microbiome and just restored that balance that was kind of off in the first trimester. Got it. Well, that is fantastic. Hyperbaric mask uh, as well. Hyperbaric mask, I, I just, yeah, I use it before pregnancy, throughout. <laughs> it, it, it is not something that yeah. you you need to skip. That, yeah. Well, it also does improve detoxification and improves glutathione production. So there are a lot there that just make sure your skin is kind of performing in its best. Uh, I mean, I was able to keep most of my skincare routine intact. So I've used the same cleansers before our adaptive chain cleanser. I, you know, used eye care care. Mm-hmm. So okay. those things didn't change. Got it. So for that, biomimetic lipids or biobarrier, as far as stretch mark, what is your opinion? How did you use them? Because your belly looks phenomenal. So <laughs> let's go here. Uh, thank you. Well, yes. Yeah, so just like I mentioned the the, you know, as as we found out we were expecting i was like okay what are some of the things i should you know prevent account for and obviously the the things you dread would be like the melasma and stretch marks so we already spoke about what i did to prevent melasma and for stretch marks in my first trimester i I was using bio barrier (laughs) on my belly i mean yeah it's definitely a big area but that was the product i felt I feel 100% safe using, and I knew that it would be beneficial. And luckily, leading to the the second and third trimester, we already had our body cream prototype available for me. So I've been using that religiously. Spilling all the beans here, because this product is not out yet on the market. So this product is not out. We will be launching our long, 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 long anticipated asked for NAD boosting body cream in 2024. And I definitely had the privilege to be able to use it throughout my pregnancy. and, And it's phenomenal. Okay, great. So that is all, I guess, for as far as like skincare. Okay, because we've we've basically spoken for an hour, and uh, I don't want people to uh, get. I, I wanted to somewhat stay concise. So let's just wrap it up with some healthy habits outside of skincare to kind of understand how you really aced this pregnancy as far as like health. Really, I think you. You've done a better job than you are doing regularly, and I hope it continues. So what are some of the healthy habits? You mentioned meditation. Yeah. So products aside, for skin health, I would say, again, since uh, you have to be like, you know, you, you can't use certain things, right? Like certain strong products and change stimulating products. Something that I became more consistent is using like ice rollers or washing my face with really, really cold water. That's, I always knew that it's great and I've done it, you know, from time to time here and there, but I never had the need to do it as consistently. So that was something that's not product related, but beneficial for skin health and one of the habits I incorporated. I will also say that obviously meditating and improving sleep quality helped maintaining the skin health. And in general, I also have been the most consistent with 
uh, workouts than ever. I know it's um, it's a kind of like a paradoxal, but yeah, during this pregnancy, I just realized that I want to prepare my body. I'm, I'm trying preparing for natural unmedicated birth, and it's 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 a whole separate you know, topic not related to skin health, but it takes a village uh, to prepare uh, in just the way births are, how they're medicalized um, in today's world. You just have to consider so much uh, in terms of how you can best prepare your body and, and specific workouts and movement and having them consistently is just crucial. Uh, but then as a side effect, a pleasant side effect, uh, movement and workouts is really good for your skin. We talked about it in the podcast with Amber, uh, Amber Berger recently, but yeah, it stimulates blood flow. It helps detoxify your skin. And it, again, it balances also cortisol that we already said that it's not good for your skin. So the, the workouts have been crucial. I think going to the beach, obviously we mentioned the hours, but also grounding on the sand. Uh, it definitely gives you pleasure, which is important. Yes. And, and I would say uh, prenatal, prenatal yoga. Yeah. It's a, it's a running joke in this house, but <laughs> just relaxing in different positions. But mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that you've been super consistent with that. And, and I think, you know, that that's whether it is mental, physical, whatever it is, it is another great tool for consistency. I think habits, maybe, obviously, we can control many things. Um, I think we covered in this podcast anything from what if something happens like acne and melasma and stretch marks to how do we prevent it. Understanding that things will happen, our body, you know, your body will do its thing and we're only here to make sure that we're doing the best with it is very important. Um, And I think the mental aspect is really even more important than the physical aspect. I mean, you ace the pregnancy in both ways, but I think the mental aspect is even more important than the physical aspect. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's been a journey, and uh, but something I'm already grateful for is that definitely it helped me to instill some of the healthiest habits, something that I, I wanted to say that, you know, I'm consistent and I work out nearly every day and it hasn't been the case before pregnancy, but it became the case during pregnancy and meditating and also um, eating healthy. Um, honestly, it's the healthiest I've ever Eaten. Like we eat really healthy in general in the house, but you know, knowing like, oh, the baby's developing this week's liver and this week his kidney, and this is the neural development, like, and just having all that, you this know. This week is developing his eyelids. Oh no, I don't want him to be with messed up eyelids. <laughs> I need to eat healthy. Yeah, and, and, and just what you end up needing to consume to best support your baby, uh, some of the healthiest things you need to eat. So, I, I didn't do it for myself, but I ended up doing it for this baby I'm growing. So, yep. Now, yeah. And, and all of those things, you know, healthy diet, meditation, consistent workouts will benefit your skin health. So, mm-hmm. so if you are... don't care about your baby, I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, kidding. <laughs> anyway, uh, Anastasia, listen, we, this has been, uh, we've passed an hour. Okay. Which, uh, I don't mind, but you'll see to mind. So, Thank you very much for this, uh, I think, uh, pers- very personal podcast, right? Like we talked about something that you're going through personally. And uh, it's uh, pretty cool to share with the world a little bit. Please do continue uh, if you see us, uh, if you see me, to ask me how Anastasia is doing. Uh, she gets a report on the amount of people that asked how she's doing when she's not there. And, and 
I I really do feel um, loved and um, supported. So thank you to everyone who cares. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Uh, even if you are not pregnant or have someone pregnant in your life, it's also kind of a general knowledge and, and understanding how hormones affect our skin and what we can do you know, around it. But yeah, that's all we have for today. Today, since it's only Anastasia, Anastasia and myself, there are no uh, Q&A in the end of this uh, episode. We answered a lot of listeners' yeah, questions that pertain to yes. this topic. Yeah, for sure. What I would say is this. If you have a question that you would like us to answer, the best way to make sure it is answered in, in, a, pod, in a podcast episode that relates to it is to ask it in a review on, you guessed it, on Apple Podcast. So, you know, obviously reviews help tremendously growing this podcast, reaching more people. Imagine how many women that are pregnant could enjoy this podcast today and this podcast would have helped them. The only way they're going to hear about it is if we're going to have a lot of reviews and um, a lot of shares. So please do that. It helps people such as yourself and like us to get more information about their skin health, about their overall health. So even one word review greatly helps. That's all we have for today. Thank you, Anastasia. Thank you for having me. Thank and you everyone who tuned in. Yeah, thank you everyone. And we'll see you here next time. Bye.